This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 14th episode of The Quarter Bin, I'm looking at Batman The Ten Cent Adventure from DC Comics, cover dated March 2002. Over the course of the year, in honor of 2014 being Batman's 75th anniversary year, I will occasionally limit my random selection to stories featuring Batman. And this issue was the first of those selected. Batman, the 10 cent adventure, had a cover price of 10 cents, meaning I acquired this comic at a 150% markup. What? What? This is an outrage. This is a bleeping outrage. A bleeping outrage. I, I can't believe they flat out ripped me off like that. Deep cleansing breath, Professor. But where was I? The story, The Fool's Errand, was written by Greg Rucka, with art by Rick Burchett and Klaus Jansen. The cover is a nice mood-setting red, white, and black number. We have a spotlight on Bruce Wayne with the Batman shadow behind him. Not bad. It definitely has a throwback kind of feel to it. The issue itself starts with narration from Sasha Bordeaux. Bordeaux is a character created by Rucka a few years prior to this issue. Originally a bodyguard hired by Lucius Fox, by this point she's become aware of his secret identity and has been brought in to fight right by his side. She narrates his origin story over the first few pages, as well as the motivation for his Dark Knight escapades carrying the fight forward to the streets of Gotham, trying to shield the innocent, striving to punish the guilty, every night now for over ten years, doomed to failure, again and again. She continues, proving just how much she has learned about Bruce Wayne in both of his identities. Because it is a true fool's errand. Because this quest is impossible, even if the lunatics did not exist. Even if men like the Joker and women like Poison Ivy were locked securely away forever, parents would still be murdered. Children would still become orphans. The pair go to work one night. Standard patrol tonight, he tells her. Should be quiet. Cathedral Square, 30 minutes. We'll start from there and work out. Yes, sir. Again, through her thoughts, we are brought up to date on the emotional life-slash-love life of Bruce Wayne. We learn that he was seeing someone until a month ago, a journalist named Vesper Fairchild. She had already come and gone in his life before I even showed up. Then she had returned, and it was looking serious, so he dumped her. Sasha considers broaching the subject with him while they're out on patrol, as he does not appear to have totally gotten over Vesper. Just before she is able to say something, an explosion is heard at the Gotham City Currency Exchange. While the team of criminals heads in to loot the place, the one lookout mumbles nervously to himself, 
gonna show up here. I just know he's gonna show up here and, and he's gonna do that thing where he just appears out of nowhere. And then, totally failing, at the one job the lookout has, Batman shows up and makes the man an offer. Surrender. Or suffer. The lookout delays his response just long enough to earn a major beatdown from the Dark Knight. Sasha uses her battle staff as both a pole vault and a weapon to aid in bringing down the rest of the criminal gang. It is the start of a very busy night. This is Gotham by night. Chaos uncorked on a regular basis. Across Gotham City, the pair helps whoever needs them. They thwart robberies, muggings, and they stop a police shootout with a Russian mob. They rescue people from a blazing building and even recage a tiger at the Gotham Zoo. He doesn't discriminate. He just tries to save lives. Still, Batman blames himself for each and every life they are not on hand to save. Sasha again gives us insight into Bruce's basic character in the scene involving the mob shootout. They go through a lot of bullets. A lot of people suffer because of them. It makes him angry. He even scares me when he's angry. There is rage in him. He tries to contain it, to rule it, but lately he hasn't been doing such a good job. As the sun is ready to rise, a call comes in about a jumper at the Colby building as they are just about to handle an alleyway assault on a woman. Batman tasks Sasha to handle that one, and he heads out to the jumper. I'll meet you at the cave. Sasha swoops in and takes the bad guys down. No means no, boys. One of the thugs holds a knife to their prospective victim's throat, telling Sasha to back off. But she knows the exact distance that her battle staff can reach, and in an instant, the man is down, and the woman dashes off, safe. She arrives back in the cave, and Bruce is beating himself up for failing to save everyone. We hear a newscast that there was one death at the building fire. He wanders up the stairs into the main portion of the manor, and Sasha worries for him. How much pain can one man bear? Friends, we call that sentence foreshadowing. As the grandfather clock settles back into place behind them, they both see it at the same time. They see the bloody body on the expensive rug. The bloody body of Vesper Fairchild. At that exact moment, the front door to the manor is kicked in, and moments later, guns are drawn. As Bruce Wayne cradles in his arms the dead body of his former girlfriend, Gotham City police officers stand over him, and they arrest Bruce Wayne for murder. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. 
Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the 2 True Freaks Network. Duh. Are you troubled by the strange ending to Sherlock? Do you experience feeling of dread while waiting for Doctor Who to return? Have you or your family actually seen Orphan Black, Person of Interest, or Sleepy Hollow? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Log in to the home of all things geek, the Earth Station One Network. Our podcasts are on call 24 hours a day to serve all your geek needs. The ESO Network will be right there. We're ready to geek out with you. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. And we're back. Like I said earlier, this is not the last time that we'll be looking at a Batman story here in 2014. I don't know exactly how regularly we'll check in on Batman, but for comparison, I covered three Superman stories out of 12 regular episodes I did last year for his 75th. And of course, as always, all plans are subject to change without notice. (laughs) But on to this comic in particular. When I picked this one up from the cheapy bin, I vaguely remembered that it was a low-price gimmick and that it was a one-shot. And according to the Comicron website, this issue sold over 700,000 copies. So I probably didn't even need a synopsis for the issue because all of you have probably read it before. But I was totally out of comics in 2002, so I had no idea when I picked this up for a quarter that it was a prelude to the Bruce Wayne murderer storyline. I've never read any of the seven issues in that storyline proper. I was expecting to find, based on the title and the price gimmick, for this to be a story in the style of the time frame of Tencent Comics. And actually, there are cases where the art does just that, with some great throwback-style poses and imagery. But like I said, the nature of the story itself was not what I was expecting. So, now that I've recalibrated my expectations, I think I can fairly comment on the issue. Now, let's be honest. There's not much of a narrative story happening here, but it's a good read nonetheless. The key is that Greg Rucka does a very nice job doing exactly what he sets out to do, which is to tell an atmospheric story culminating in a shock ending. First thing, I love the fact that the whole issue is told from Sasha's point of view. If you're going to do something unusual with the storytelling, like telling it entirely from Sasha's perspective, you have to treat the whole issue that way. You can't jump in and out of her head. 
this is Rucka's experience as a novelist coming through. The only minor slip-up is where we hear the lookout muttering before Sasha and Batman arrive on the scene, but the humor of that scene, the guy saying he's going to do that thing where he appears out of nowhere, that one minor slip-up in an otherwise tightly controlled POV is entirely forgivable, because it was kind of funny. There is one awkward scene when we're hearing about the breakup with Fairchild. What we see on panel is Batman on a building across the street from her apartment, looking in on her with his super bat binoculars. At that point in the synopsis, I had to decide between making the obvious NSA joke or making the obvious Superman Returns joke. I decided to go with no joke at all. Uh, Burkett and Jansen do a nice job telling the story as well through the art. There's almost a Batman the Animated Series feel to this issue, and there, there are the throwback images, especially in the early pages where his origin is recounted. But it's still very modern storytelling in the pacing and the panel design. I also like the fact that there's no super villainy here in terms of their nightly patrol. Sasha points this out, saying that even without the lunatics, he'd still be doing this work. I like that take on Batman. I really like the insights that Sasha has been able to gain in her short time with Wayne, especially in his psychology. This again is a very modern take on the template that Kane and Finger developed right at the outset of the character some 75 years ago. At one point, she says, speed is everything to him, but he can never be fast enough. There is a notion that throughout this issue for Batman, only perfection qualifies as success. Anything short, saving every person but one from a burning building, is a failure. There's a sort of a sense of irony going on if you take a look at the story as a whole, as Batman and Sasha are able to protect citizens from various criminals all over Gotham City while a new crime is being committed in the very last place they'd expect. And as someone coming to this issue fresh, with no sense of spoilers or previews or really any notion of what was going to happen at the end, I found that ending to be legitimately shocking. It was shocking in the sense that you don't see Bruce Wayne often caught off guard. It's hard to believe that this could happen. But, since we're told about his emotional issues and not totally being on his game, I think that made that a little bit more believable. At this point, I'm not so interested in the whodunit of the story, but the how they done it intrigues me. And the ending was also shocking in the sense that I did not see it coming. That counts as a well-executed ending. The verdict on Batman, the Tencent Adventure. Very good. Even at the outrageous markup that I had to pay for this comic, it was still worth it. And again, Rucka knows how to write a prologue. He's a novelist. He has done this before. I, I can see the value of the Tencent gimmick here, as this not only serves as a prologue to a larger arc, I can see this actually serving as an intro to the character, one of those mythical jumping-on points that comic publishers are always looking to create, and usually failing to create. 
Whether that was the purpose of this issue or not, I think it managed to pull off that trick well. A very enjoyable game. I've not read a ton of Greg Rucka's comic book work, but I seem to always like his stories when I do. It's happened often enough that I think I have to consider myself a fan of his writing now. That wraps up my coverage of Batman, the Ten Cent Adventure, bringing episode 14 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. In episode 15, we're going to be getting all sci-fi. So strap on the jetpack, grab your ray gun, oh, and put on that helmet with the weird fin thing on top of it, you know? And then just wait around for the Zeta Beam to strike. Because we'll be looking at Adam Strange, The Man of Two Worlds, book number one, cover dated March 1990. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.